Hello everyone, this is Kevin Gentry. I'm excited to share with you this two-parter interview with THE Marty Kagan. The second part will be released next Monday the 10th, so remember to subscribe and share with your network if you enjoy the content. Now, without further ado, here is part one of our discussion with Marty Kagan about being a first-time head of product. Welcome to Product Coffee, a podcast where product management leaders share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. Very excited today. We have um, Marty Kagan joining us, um, author of Inspired Empowered, uh, blog writer at Silicon Valley Product Group, and just overall product guru that um, we, we follow here a lot over at Product Coffee. So very excited to have you, Marty. Uh, thanks for joining us. And what we're going to talk about today is first time head of product. If you, uh, uh, How do you know if you're ready to be a head of product? Sure. Well, uh, yeah, thanks for inviting me. Uh, how do you know if you're ready to be a head of product? <laughs> it's funny because that's a, really, that's a pretty common conversation. Um, I, I can't help but observe that it's often very different when I have that conversation with males versus females. I notice that with women, they usually, uh, I'm really trying hard to convince them they are ready. With the males, they're really trying hard to convince me that they're ready. <laughs> so um, there's uh, you know a little different mindset there. Um, I, you know, unless you've been there, done that at a good product company, most people are not ready. But that doesn't mean that there's anybody better really to hop in. A lot of times there's not. So I, my view is, uh, and I should, you know, state that I think many of the times I initially got into product, I wasn't ready either. Um, even starting as a product manager, I knew I wasn't. I luckily knew enough to find somebody who could coach me. <laughs> and it was humbling just how much I, I knew there was a lot I didn't know. I didn't know there was that much I didn't know. So, um, you know, it was humbling. And then when you get going and you move into more leadership responsibilities, you realize there is a ton of stuff. And when you've had a chance to work for a good leader, you realize that there's a real difference between what they know and what most people know. So, yes, uh, I think it sort of starts by realizing most of us aren't ready, but um, the good people, I think, know that. They don't pretend that they know stuff they don't know. They don't fake it like crazy. Uh, they, they get to work. And they learn it. Um, and I think that's totally plausible. So many people learn on the job. Battle, we call them battlefield promotions, right? You know, we need somebody. The company's growing like crazy. Uh, there aren't that many people you can hire from the outside with the necessary skills. And even if they do come in from the outside from a great company, they don't know your culture. They don't know your products. They don't know your customers. So there's a lot they have to come up with as well. So um, well, let's I, talk about that for a little bit, because I think I think that's that's kind of the role that Zach and I fell into where, you know, we, we, we've been more, you know, I see contributors at a, a fast growing consumer facing startup, and then we get thrown into a head of product role. 
you know, and yes, it's new for us. We're outside, you know, uh, it's a new leadership role for us and we're trying our best to learn, get up to speed, be effective. Yeah. Um, and the ways and tactics that we've used as the I, in the IC role is much different than those at the leadership level. And so a lot of that is, yeah, learning. And, and how do you kind of approach that? Like what mindset, what maybe uh, tricks or tools or tips would you have for? Well, the highest order point, I mean, and there's a lot to talk about here, obviously, <laughs> but the highest order point is realizing that thus far in your career, you know, your product was your product and you did good based if your product did good, but now your product is your people. And that's a big mindset change. I mean, it was a big mindset change for me and really for, I think, pretty much everybody that moves into a leadership position, this difference that basically the, the things that got me there aren't the things that are going to get me to the next level. Uh I was lucky because I had people just telling me that point blank. You know, there are very different skills here. Obviously, in, and I think this is actually a trait of good companies. My belief is leaders should be people that have mastered the craft itself. So, for example, you know, if you, you were an individual contributor product manager and you had done some real product work and then you were promoted into this leadership position of product, if somebody had been an engineer and then finds themselves promoted into head of product, that's a much bigger issue because they don't even know how to coach those people. They don't even know what to coach those people on. And you know that there are a lot of misguided companies out there that believe in that model, the people manager model. But every good product company I know does not believe in that. They believe in people that have depth in that function. So, Great designers go on to lead design. Frankly, who would want to work for somebody that can't make them better at their job, help them get better at their job? So that's that's not an accident at Apple, at Google, at Amazon. I mean, it's not an accident that they believe strongly in that. So right away, you know that you have the skill, which can, you know, the skills that the people you're managing need to develop. That's a big advantage. What's different is that now you're really effectively teaching, coaching, mentoring these people. And that has to become your priority. In fact, for first level managers, I tell them coaching and staffing is about 80% of your time for first level managers. And of course, in a lot of bad companies, it's not even 20% of their time. But in good companies, it really is because that is how you develop people. And you know, you're only as good as your people. So, um, you know, there's a lot of managers, new managers that think they can just power through it and, and effectively just increase their workload and effectively micromanage all these other people. But pretty quickly, that usually falls down. There's only so that doesn't scale very far. Yeah. Yeah. What are, what are some of the differences you've seen? You talk about kind of first level managers and I, that's certainly a shift I noticed where you have to start thinking about the people, the PMs reporting to you. How do I help them be more effective in their roles? Um, do you see any additional skills that have to be gained going from first level to second or third level? So you look at someone who's a head of product or a VP of product. This can vary depending on how big the company gets, but what are some of the differences in skill set between those kind of orders of, of management? Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's essentially two 
blocks of work that a product leader does. One block of work is coaching and staffing, which we just talked about. The other block of work is what we refer to as the strategic context. This is providing the product vision, the product principles, the product strategy, working out team topology, assigning objectives to team. It's a, it's a lot. Both of those are big blocks of work. Now, for a first level manager, where you are basically managing individual individual contributors, like I said, it's about 80% coaching staffing, only about 20% of your time is on the strategic context. That reverses as you go up. So if you're a chief product officer, obviously, we're talking a bigger company <laughs> at a startup, which I love, but in a startup, you're basically doing all this. So, um, but, you know, in a bigger company where you might have a chief product officer and maybe a VP product, VP design, VP product ops, something like that, you've got more roles. And in those, those senior people are spending about 80% of their time on the strategic context and only about 20% of their time coaching. So the, the, the use of time is going to be different. But fundamentally, those are the two blocks of work that product leaders do. Um, there's a great quote from Andy Grove, you know, the, the longtime CEO of Intel and the guy who invented OKRs. He basically said, there's only two reasons people don't do good work, product work. The first is they don't know how to do good product work, <laughs> yeah, which is really true. That's the coaching and staffing. That's like, that's your first obligation. The second is they know how to do good product work. They just don't want to. And that's the strategic context to get everybody motivated and fired up about doing something meaningful. So I, I want to add on to that or ask more questions on there. So the, the best practices in the first 90 days in your role, like you're coming into this head of product. For me, I just, this is my second week. Okay. So we're turning the corner. <laughs> Q1's coming over. We're having a lot of strategic conversations. I'm new to the company, familiar with the space, familiar with the profession, new to the company and the customers and context, and they need help, you know? And so we're trying to turn this corner for next year. And, you know, what would be some of the best practices for someone in my position coming into this role in the first 90 days that yeah. they could really focus on, hone in on, and, and yeah. Now, I, I focus a lot on those first 90 days for leaders because a lot of it's going to be established there. Of course, the most important thing you got to keep in mind is that the first thing you have to do is get the lay of the land. You have to figure out what the context is here, what the particular challenges are here, because essentially you need to assess the organization. You had an interview and you learned hopefully something, but there's always so much you don't know until you actually get, you know, on the other side of the door and you start, you know, you have to prepare yourself. You're going to see all kinds of ugliness. And so the other thing you have to really do, to be honest, um, I just had this conversation recently in terms of first hundred days kind of thing uh, is this is when a lot of politics are established. And so you really need to understand the politics going on. In companies that don't really have much of a problem with politics, you can really focus on getting the team squared away, get, you know, figuring out the people that are not going to be able to do what they need to do and investing most of your time on those that can. Um, but on the other hand, and there's some companies, there's a lot of politics going on and there's real importance to get some quick wins and start establishing the sort of uh, uh, capital, political capital that you need to do the more important things. In those companies that have a lot of politics, I'm very much coach, I coach people to, uh, to pick your battles, 
you know, not if if you don't have a lot of politics, you can say, look, this is where we need to get to. Let's get to work. But in a company that's got a lot of politics, you're going to have to pick your battles. Some of those things are much more important than others. And uh, so you're going to want to balance a lot of the sort of the more visible wins with the core work that you need to do to get your organization in shape. Um, so, you know, you can imagine the discussion with somebody that joins a big old political company that's not really working the way they need to is a very different conversation that, oh, I just joined as a new leader at a strong product company. They've, you know, they're not perfect. Nobody is, but they've got their act together. They know what's important. They've got the fundamentals in place. Obviously, your first hundred days are going to be dramatically different. But, um, you know, you try to I think I think there's things you can do in all these situations, even in the really difficult uh, companies. I think a variation of that question, because it's interesting, you know, if it's a larger company, you need some quick wins for political capital or a smaller company, you can kind of just get to work. Um, I've also noticed there might be a variation even at a smaller company where they're not exactly sure how product fits into the company yet. And so maybe the politics aren't a humongous problem, but there's this general like un uncertainty of how does product fit into this? Maybe we have a homegrown product manager or two. That's kind of the situation I came into. We had two homegrown product managers. How do we make this a formal discipline that works with the other orgs and how do we grow it and coach it in a way that's valuable? So is there anything different in, in a company that has kind of this newness to the to the discipline that you might need to think about. Oh, yeah. And this can be, like you said, this can be any size, any size. So you, this is a really important thing. We're going to step, maybe step back a step. When you're interviewing for a product leader position or anybody interviewing for a product leader position, you really want to be sure you figure out, first of all, what kind of company are they? Are, are they working in old way? Or are they working on new way? I talk a lot about feature team company or product team company, but one way or another, you need to figure out where they are. Then uh, if they're, if they're a, already a good company working the good way and they just want another great leader, then you're, you're good. This is sort of the earlier case I was describing, get to work, do what you need to do. But very, very often for product leaders, they are being brought in essentially to help transform the company. Sometimes they'll say that explicitly. We want you, you know, we're hiring you because you've done this, been there, done that, you know how, we know we need to work that way. So, okay. But what often happens is that people interview and they see, you know, they're not that surprised at how bad the company is, but they get in and they assume they're being brought in to transform, but the company has no interest in changing. And that's kind of a, that's a really a recipe for frustration. And, and some people just decide I, I made a mistake. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in other cases, um, the person doesn't like, you know, only some people like transformations. Uh, some people live for them, by the way, as long as the leader, as long as the CEO is all, all is on board for supporting this transformation. They're like, I love that. Let me add it because they've done it. I have several partners. That's the, that's what they love. They've gone into companies. They've done it several times. They transform them. You know, you can make, first of all, you can make a lot of money because you can usually dramatically increase the value of the company. 
But, you know, you can also make a lot of good. You're really improving this company and the, the lives of the employees. So some people love that. Other people are like, oh, my God, life is too short. I can't believe I have to do another one of these sit downs with a CFO or with the head of sales. You know, I can't believe what I'm having to explain to these people. And so you have to make sure that you know what you're getting into and you want to get into that. But a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't really work that through. And so they're surprised when they get there. And they're especially surprised when the leaders don't provide the air cover that they need to provide. So then you're just kind of being set up to fail. So uh, you can tell there's there's a lot of nuance to it, isn't it? Yeah, so I've been a part of both of those (laughs) sides of the equation. And uh, it's hard to tell when you're in that position, especially being new to transformation, bringing transformation to these companies. When to what to notice, right? Like, what are the red flags? What are the signals? How much do you put up with the crap to then actually, you know, um, see if that's a, a, the right place for you and, and bringing this growth? Any kind of like key red flags or signals that would indicate that they're not truly ready for growth transformation there? Yeah. And it's tricky too. To your point, I have met CEOs that have told me explicitly they are 100% on board. And then the first time one of their stakeholders, you know, one of their VPs says something that they're not happy about, they're like, it withers. They're like, oh, I didn't know that was going to have to change. (laughs) So it's really important that the CEO understands that transformation impacts way more than product design and engineering. But to your question, there are some real things that you can look at. Um, One of the things that is guaranteed to make your life miserable is if your engineering counterpart is not equally in the same place you are. So many times we see these CTOs that are not CTOs, they're CIOs, and they really have no business running a technology organization. And they've made ridiculous choices in terms of processes and technologies and hiring and whether it's outsourced or not, just ridiculous. And, you know, they might say all the words because you have to realize the engineering leader CEO relationship is very often a very fragile one where the CEO doesn't understand any of this stuff, is scared to death of technology. They know they're reluctantly dependent on that technology leader. And a lot of times the technology leaders absolutely take advantage of that. So that's the first huge red flag. Um, And in fact, I usually tell heads of product, you have to make sure that the CEO the head of technology and you are on the same page philosophically about like where the company is and where it needs to be. And that's the kind of thing you have to have some significant interactions, you know, in a post-COVID world, go back to doing dinners with these people, make sure you can really get a chance to get in their heads and understand, you know, more than the platitudes. Um, Because unless those three are really you know, on the same page, it is really hard to do what you need to do. Yeah, that's definitely something I've noticed. Um, And, you know, you need to have a similar philosophy. 
you also need to work really closely with uh, your engineering counterpart. Um, how do you build trust? Like, so I, let's assume, you know, we've kind of made, made the foray into this new role. We've decided we're going to, we're going to take this plunge. Uh, we have buy-in from leadership and from head of engineering as a partner, head of design, potentially about the, the way we want to transform the company. Um, how do you, how do you start this? You know, you, you've joined, it's your first 90 days. How do you start building trust with these different uh, key people, but also start like doing the work? Yeah, no, that's a perfect question because that is really the key. And, you know, the clock is ticking from the day you start. This is where that 90, 100 days comes from. Mm -hmm. If you don't really establish that trust by then, you're not the new guy anymore. You're like, yeah, this didn't work either kind of thing. So the clock really is ticking. And so I do encourage people to take those first months very seriously. One of the things I say to the leaders to really drill this in is that, you will be judged as a product leader by your weakest product manager. They really will. Uh, so you might have 15 product managers, but if one of them is terrible, that's the one they'll all talk about. That's the one they'll all focus on. And so while this is difficult, and this is part of the politics and doing the work, as, product man as the product leader, you have to assess these people right away. And you have to decide uh, and have some very frank conversations with the people who are not at the level they need to be. You need to tell them, look, I've got three months to get you to where you need to be. You have to tell them, first thing you have to do is tell me, are you up for that? Because you're not doing it right now. And I can't have you representing our organization at the level of skill you have. So you need a real radical candor, tough love, whatever you want to call it. But now I, I'm personally a big believer in be giving the people the chance to really raise their game. Uh, so the how do you, thing, yeah, go ahead. Let's go go ahead. ahead. How do you accurately assess those skills within the first, I mean, that so quickly, right? And then address this plan. Like, is this just like a, a interview you can figure it out or is it? No, I mean, yeah. well, first of all, um, there's a rubric that I included in the book, uh, Empowered, and I have it for free on the website. I use it, uh, but I encourage people to customize it to your company. Like in ad tech, we would tailor that. Certain things are, you know, ad tech's got some real complexities. So you want to want to make sure this stuff is captured. But um, the first thing, you know, whatever rubric you use, the first thing you want to do is assess each person. And that is a combination of asking them to do a self-assessment, which is good too. But then you as the leader doing a 360, getting feedback from all these other leaders, all the engineers, the designers they work with, getting feedback. And very quickly, I mean, honestly, it only takes a couple of weeks to, from, from a standing start to have a very thorough assessment. And those assessments lead to a gap analysis of what are the things that this person needs to do, develop before they are at the, you know, all I'm talking about is getting competent. I'm not even talking about getting great. First, we want to get them to competence, and then we want to help them reach their potential. But first, it's competence. And it's really on, you know, this is true for any manager, certainly, of product design and engineering is, you know, if you have anybody on your staff that is not at the level of competence, you really need to cover for them. 
So it's meant to be self-correcting, right? Um, if you, after a while, you can't cover for eight people, you know, you need to like either raise their game or find eight different people. So this is really important. Now, the good news is most people I've found, uh, as long as they're willing to invest in their, you know, career, they can learn this stuff. They're not willing. That's a different issue. You got a motivational issue, you know, and you've got, you know, there's a great Bezos quote, which is we need him. We need people that think like owners, not think like employees. That's sort of another way of talking about this sense of agency. But uh, obviously, if you have somebody who doesn't care, then I would, you know, help them find a different job. So definitely product management is not a good fit for that. But assuming, you know, the people really want to do it, it's amazing how much people can learn when they focus on it. So customer interaction, going deep on the data, going deep on the industry, learning the different parts of the business. And of course, because you as leader have that experience of being good product, you can provide them real help. Now, you can imagine if you didn't know anything about product yourself, then that would be virtually impossible. You'd have to basically find a, a coach or something that could, at least on a contract basis, provide that coaching. You know? Yeah, I, I really like that approach. And that's kind of what I've, I've tried to do as well is look at, you know, are you interested in improving? And here's some things that we've identified that you can work on. Um, how... What Just to I be can... clear, though, I'm saying if you're not interested, then we right. need to find you a different job. So yeah. it's really important that you're clear with the people. Yeah. yeah. And I guess being willing to to make hard decisions is the other piece of that, right? Like you can't right. let something go on for too long. I think that's one of the things I had to think about is, is everybody you know up to par? And are we all working on the right areas? Maybe there's some opportunity to move around what we're focusing on so that, so that it's a better fit. Otherwise, we might need to have a difficult conversation. Yeah, uh, the willingness and competency is interesting, right? Like if you, if you don't have that, um, one, one great piece of advice that I had was uh, we hire slow and we fire fast, right? Yeah. Because that that never gets better, right? You can let yeah, it sit. You know, most fester. companies. Yeah. You know, most companies do the opposite, right? They hire yeah. fast and fire slow. So, and often we all inherit these people, and so we're talking about that scenario: new head of product, first hundred days. That. You're probably yeah. going to inherit some of these people. And, and this is why, Zach, I was just saying, you know, if you come across as, oh, are you interested in getting better? Yes, sir. You know, if yes, great. If no, all right. That's very different from, look, you're not doing the job we need done. Mm-hmm. Are you serious about improving? I'm willing to help if you are, but not if you're not. That's a very different conversation. <laughs> and you yeah. can imagine that the, the person is going to take away very different messages from that. There has to be a little fire in that conversation, I yeah, think. There has um, to be. And you um, have to mean it, I think. Yeah, yeah. I could see that because years ago, I worked at a much, much larger, older company. Um, and we had this one person on one of our teams who was demoralizing. They didn't really do their job. And you know, when I asked about it, the answer was, well, they've been here 10 years plus. We, you know, That's just what they do. It's, it's like, well, that, that can't be acceptable, but it became the bar for one of the teams, but the, it had a compounding effect where 
people who were actually good at you know what they were doing and wanted to build good stuff didn't want to work with that team. And right. so you just it kind of had this effect of pushing away talented folks and it, it dragged down an important aspect of the business. And it was kind of a symptom of, I think, a larger problem. But um, as a leader, I think that's the kind of thing you have to take seriously because um, those things, while they can seem isolated, oh, you know, it's easy to make an exception for someone because you have some empathy about them as a person, but you have to have some of that rigor for your, your organization still. Absolutely. Now, I think this is critical because this is what leads to companies failing as well. And there are lots of other jobs. A lot of times what I'll do is just focus my efforts because I feel like an obligation, even if I, I mean, I really feel an obligation if I hired the person and they are not doing what they need to do, then I kind of, it's my job to find them a much better fit. But I feel like if I was hired as that new leader, I inherit those commitments the company's made, the company made in the past. So my first is like, okay, well, you can't, you're not going to be able to do this job, but I'm willing to help you find the job that's a better fit. And and I'll go, I'll put a lot of time into that. Sometimes I have to find, you know, call up people at other companies I know and say, I have this person, I think it'd be a good fit for this. But um, But one way or another, you realize you will be judged by your weakest product managers. This has been Product Coffee with Kevin Gentry, Zach LaGreca, and our special guest, Marty Kagan. Produced and engineered by me, Kevin Gentry. Through our podcast partner, Anchor, you can now record a voice message and send us ideas or topics to cover. And who knows, we might end up playing it on the show. You can also become a supporter of Product Coffee by contributing a monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes. Find, follow, and share us on LinkedIn and on Instagram. The links to both of these are in the description of this episode. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Product Coffee on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.